I know I saw one of your interviews prior, you were kind of mentioning a few months ago, but things changed so much that, you know, there's the flipping happening. Do you still think that that's going to be the case? No, no. I think the flipping before ordinals, I thought that I was expecting the flipping to happen. Mm-hmm. But now I think um, it's it's not going to happen because the 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 momentum has changed, like the 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 direction of the wind has changed. Yeah, and there's now people see the massive opportunity uh, on Bitcoin. Welcome to Unraveling Crypto, where we simplify big and complex ideas in Bitcoin, blockchain, Web3, and tech, while connecting you with entrepreneurs, builders, and leaders building at the edge of innovation. I am Vane, your host. Welcome to Unraveling Crypto. Today we have Trevor Owens. Welcome. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So I came into the space like about almost a year and a half ago, maybe two, and you definitely were one of the people that I started following to learn more about the space, about stacks, about everything. Um, you're managing partner at uh, Bitcoin Frontier Fund and CEO of Ninja Alerts. Well, I think we can just get started. Awesome. Let's do it. I love to start with what are you most grateful for right now? Wow, what a what a, a good question. Um, <laughs> I think um, you know I'm having really having the time of my life uh, in my career right now with um, everything that's going on on Bitcoin and stacks. Um, I've been an entrepreneur for uh, a long time since since, uh, since I was in, in university, like so many years ago now. <laughs> and I've been I've been building businesses, and um, it's just fun to be able to share. Uh, the mistakes that I've made with other founders and help them avoid making those same mistakes. And also I've been doing coaching for, uh, like one of my previous startups was like a education company on lean startup and mm-hmm. we grew that around the world. And so, um, then I shifted to like building products. Uh, I'm a full stack developer myself. So I spent like 10,000 hours coding and now I'm kind of back to, uh, the first part of the story, you know, like I'm doing the same thing I did again, but in a new environment. And I feel like that's, uh, given me um, a leg up, I guess, in mm-hmm. in the space. And so it's just been fun to kind of build on those skills and, and take it to the next level. And I'm really grateful for the support from the community. I'm grateful for, you know, of course, the Stacks community, um, Maneeb, all the executives yeah. um, who uh, believed in me to uh, invest in our fund at the start. And I'm also grateful for um, all the people on Twitter, you know, running Twitter spaces, um, you know, when ordinals came up, that was a bit, that was a big moment. And I had been running, oh, yeah. like, I had been running, I had ran 60 Twitter spaces, like over the past previous, like five, six months. And it was always a struggle to get an audience to break through. And then when ordinals hit, like everything changed. And so I'm pretty grateful for that, um, for, for myself, but also for the fact that we're seeing the culture on Bitcoin change to become more about, um, innovation and possibilities rather than about like naysaying and you know mm. uh attacking people who hold other cryptocurrencies so yeah yeah it's it's a great time to be uh in the space i'm also of course just grateful for um you know my family and i think i am i am the only the only thing i'm not grateful for is that i had to shave my beard recently <laughs> because uh, of a bet i made online well um, i was gonna get into it so I, I took a screenshot and on February 17th, you made a tweet that said, if Stacks touches $1, you would shave your beard of 10 years. And you did. <laughs> How are you yep. feeling? So are you, are you feel like you're missing a body part? <laughs> yeah. I feel embarrassed when I look at my face. I, um, <laughs> I, uh, I, yeah, it's like, I mean, I'm used to it now. Like the first, I, I hadn't seen my face in 10 years. So, yeah. um, I didn't recognize myself and I was like, wow, my neck is so long. And, you know, like, it was like a, re- it was like a optical illusion, Yeah, um, but I- I'm used to it now. But then when I look at the old pictures of me, I'm like, oh man, you know, what do you I miss do? it? Yeah. Are you going to, are you going to go back to the beard? I'm yeah, I'm working on it. I'm working okay. on it. It's going to take a while. 
<laughs> oh man. I mean, I think that was like one of the greatest moments on on Twitter this year so far. Just and then you made a video about it and it was oddly interesting. <laughs> like it's just yeah. the random stuff always sticks even more. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, that um, was the, that, that was the plan, you know, to make a video, so. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So I'd love to get going with the next question, which is, what's your superpower? And I think you kind of touched upon it, but that thing that comes very effortlessly, it's just innate to you. It's a great question. Um, I think I think um, probably being adaptable is maybe, maybe one of them. So, mm. you know, I've always... Um, like since since I was since I was a child, like I had a I have um I had you know a great great parents and um you know like my dad is a very good manager and a very like hard worker has like he was in the um the merchant marines which is like a civilian part of the military so mm-hmm. he went to like that kind of like military school and so that was like my childhood like set whenever he was home like Saturday morning seven a.m. uh you know waking me up. And I'm like, as a kid, you know, I just want my, like my, the thing that was like the highlight of my life was like Saturday morning cartoons. But when my dad was home, it'd be like, it'd be like a list of chores like this long. And so, <laughs> and, and it was, it was very tough, but I think it taught me like, I, I hate it as a kid, but now I look back on it. And I'm really grateful for it because it taught me to be able to do things I didn't want to do. Mm. Um, and so I think that's been a recurring theme um, as an entrepreneur is like, yeah, you know, you always have to adapt to what's going on. Actually, adaptability is the number one uh, most important factor for a successful entrepreneur. Persistence is like the next one. But if you are too persistent and you can't adapt, you're going to be dead. Like you're going to just drive off a cliff. And yeah. so, um, you know, like being able to, like, when I was younger, I took some programming classes, but I was never like a developer. And then um, after my first company, like, I became a developer, full stack, and then. You know, coming into the Saks ecosystem, you have to learn everything from scratch when it comes to like how this new uh, Web three world is working. Um, I had to uh, like learn how to do Twitter Spaces. You know, like it's like whatever the the game is always changing, and so whatever yeah. um, you have to be able to adapt and learn and change yourself. And so, um, a lot of entrepreneurs, it's like if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? And so, you want to be able to be as objective as possible and look at the data and get multiple perspectives from smart people and then make a, a, a conviction bet yourself um, and then be able to like, you know, adapt yourself to the, to the market rather than try to persist your way through it without, you know, without um, by just doing it the way you want rather than the way that like the, the market's going to accept. Yeah. And I think this speaks to, I mean, this kind of reminds me of like forcing things to happen and it's just not working out and forcing is just being exhausted. And I think as entrepreneurs and like, especially that, but in life you're faced with things that sometimes just ask you to start over, pivot or change direction. And humans are really stubborn. We don't like to do that. And especially when it's something that we love. Um, so I think that's where I would love to get started with you. Um, as an entrepreneur, what has been like your biggest failure and then and lessons and then what has been your most successful um, stories? Yeah, I mean, my my previous venture was basically a failure. I mean, it wasn't like we raised venture capital and we didn't have like um, a big exit, right? Like we we had many small successes, like we had a product that was generating 250k a year in revenue we did a few million dollars in revenue over the years um but that's like when you sign up and you when you raise money and you sign up to to do that like that's not uh, a success right like an exit or like Mm -hmm. the next round is more of a success um and that was a very painful process um especially like after we raised our seed round you know like we raised the seed round from like some of the most successful uh, one of the most successful or like uh, notable and well-respected investors in the in the in probably in the world, um, and he, um, yeah, like we had like everything good going for us in the seed round, but then when you get to the Series A, it's actually much harder. Like ninety-five um, percent of startups don't raise a seed round, and then when you're part of that like five percent, you think they're like you're like awesome, you know, <laughs> but then seventy uh, percent of those companies of that five percent. Uh, don't raise the next round. 
So, mm. you know, it's like it get the game keeps getting harder after Series A it gets much easier. But um, you know, we raised funding without having product market fit, which you can do at a a seed round. It's something that I I try to recommend founders not do, like yeah. because as soon as you do that, the clock is ticking, and then you know. Um, putting together that A round is needs to be done very deliberately. Like the first day you close your seed round, the next day you're talking to your investors about about the A round. Like that's like you need to be like that. Um, like for me, it was like I raised seed round. I'm like, oh my god, I can like re- like rest. Like I went to my, I went on the as soon as we closed our seed round, the first thing I did was I booked a plane to Venice, Italy, and took like the first vacation I had in three years. Yeah. And um, you know, but like what you're supposed to do. I mean, you could still take a vacation, but like, you're, you, like when you get back, you're like, kind of like, you're still nervous and you're, and you're anxious, but you are kind of relaxed. Like you feel like you bought yourself some time because now you have like a few million dollars in your bank account. Mm. But, um, what you should be doing is like never stop raising. Like you need to be, um, talking to the investors to pin down, like, what is that success metric to, to do the next round? And you need to start talking to other investors about that next round from day one. So that way you, Ha- like and, mo- and it's it's like hard like people aren't just gonna tell you they're not just gonna be like oh just hit these numbers like it's like you have to get it out of them you know yeah. like you have to like work them like you have to like corral them to be like here's our vision here's what we're doing like they have no idea right and so like you need to constantly educate them explain them for them to get a good idea of what that's going to look like and then you need to lean into that like every month sending updates about how you're getting closer to that and that's how you like put together an a round that's not mm-hmm. what we did at all like we you know we um I didn't, I didn't know to do that. Right. Like, but we, it's like, we raised, uh, $1.5 million. And then it's like, we had, um, a software business and we had an education business and we were like spreading ourselves thin. We also hired, like we hired a lot of people. Our burn rate, burn rate went way up. And mm. me and my, me and my co-founder, our philosophy was like, which is not, which is not bad, I guess. But like for me, my personality, it was bad, which was like, Hey, let's, like, let's just like, you know, um, like go hard, right? Like, let's mm. just like up the, up the team, spend the money. Like we didn't waste any money. You know what I'm saying? Like we, we hired, we like negotiated salaries. Like we paid ourselves less. Like we were very frugal with the funds, but we're like, let's scale up and go. Right. Mm. And then, um, the, the thing that a lot of founders don't realize is that once you start to have like six months of runway left. Like if if you have eighteen months of runway, you really have one year of runway, mm-hmm. because as soon as you start to hit six months of runway left, like people on the team are going to start to be like, "What's going on? Like, what's going to happen?" People start to quit. Like the wheels start to come off as you get towards that that like end of that six months or towards that six month and like you know five four months left, and that's like that's like extremely uh, stressful. Like there would be like it would be like month to month. I'm like. You know, at the end, the end of month comes is coming along, and I'm like having like a panic attack. I, I never, I ne- actually, I never had a panic attack, by the way. But, but almost. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't say it was close. Like, I don't want to like you know, um, trivialize a pan- having a panic attack. Yeah, I never just got, really like, there, stressful. Like, yeah. I'm just like you know, the most stressed I've ever been in my life, which is like, you know, call, like trying to figure out, okay, how am I going to make payroll? Like, how, like, do we have three months left? Do we have two months left? Do we have four months left? Like, where can we cut? Like, where did this, you know? Oh, mm-hmm. the le- the legal bill from the lawyer came in last month, so the burn was higher. Like it's a very um like bad place to be in. Um, now if you like, I think there's some founders who can do that where they just like scale up, go, and then it's like three months left, and it's like, hey guys, it didn't work. Like email the investors, like hey, we're gonna start sending your, some of your money back. We're gonna unwind the company. That's also probably a a good approach, but for me, uh, that's not a good approach because like I really you know uh, am not one to like give up uh lightly or yeah. maybe ever or maybe ever like i you know i i i'm like the biggest thing i learned from my last company was like to give up earlier you know mm. like because um it's a game of momentum and so as soon as you start to lose momentum it's really hard to get it again and also timing is really important uh even more so in the crypto space like things happen overnight right like yeah when 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 ordinals hit it was like out of the book you know it was it was out of the blue. I and I was um, fortunate to have already been running like sixty Twitter Spaces, and I was in the, I was in the middle of like revamping our entire Twitter Space strategy because the other one wasn't working, and then it just it just hit and we we were there. And then it was like I normally ran like um, four four Twitter Spaces a week or three Twitter Spaces a week, and then um, 
like the the weekend was coming up and then i just hit up jan who's the co-host of the ordinal show and i was like dude let's just i was like what should we do and he's like let's just do it let's just do twitter space so we just did like a five-hour twitter space on saturday and sunday and that was like really where um like i picked up momentum as like someone um known in that in that space in the yeah. ordinal space and started to get a lot of people who appreciated like the the content and the speakers that we had and we started getting invited onto other Twitter spaces and that opened like a lot of doors for me. And that was all because it was just like acting quickly, like jumping on it right away. Mm. So, you know, I think, um, yeah, like I'm, I'm like in the second phase of the game now, like I'm like applying all the lessons that I learned from doing it wrong for like a very long time and yeah. like doing it as wrong as possible. Like, you know, I had to learn the hard way and now like, I, I'm grateful to be like kind of in the second stage of my career and like, um, like leveraging those lessons. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that fe is frustrating for anybody starting out is that you, f you also feel like by a certain age, you need to achieve certain amounts or, and that can be uh, like a mental block when, cause maybe you get to age 29, 30 or, and you haven't reached where you want to be, but what would you like, what would be your advice of how, of how to like think long-term, but also find success in between then and not feel discouraged to then just get a job. Yeah. I think, I think that that's a very un unhealthy like mindset. Right. So, um, like you, you can see so many people, like even my, um, one of my mentors in university, like he always told me, like I was doing a lot of cool stuff in university. Like I ran all these different student groups and like, you know, I, I was doing like cool stuff. And one of my mentors was like, you know, I hope he said that I hope you don't become successful until you're 35. And I was like, like, why are you like, why are you hoping that? Like, you know, like, that's not a like, that seems like not a good one. He said, though, like, you know, that what he's seen with people where su success early on can also be um, depending on who you are, like it can, it can, it can change, you know, who you are, right? Like, of yeah. course, like, um, power changes people, success changes people. But I think like if you've had a failure, like that's a really valuable experience because it can keep you humble. And I think that, um, you know, the, the entrepreneurs who have had a failure are always like much more pragmatic and at least if they've learned from it, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, and the smart ones who have failed, um, they always have a much more like, they're always just much better, right? Like they always are trying to look for every advantage that they can have in, in the space. Um, Whereas, you know, people who like the success can maybe make you like lazy, let's say, you know, or, yeah. you know, maybe it could like the, the goal is like, where are you going to be in a hundred years? Right. Like mm -hmm. at the end, at the end of your life, like that's when the race ends. Right. It's like when you're in your eighties and your nineties. Right. And so if you're super successful in your twenties and like you, like a lot of it is luck, right? Like a lot of it is, is a timing luck. Um, in my, tw in my twenties, like I, there's no way that if I was successful in my twenties and then I, and then I look back and like, I would probably like think a lot of things I did that weren't essential to my success, like were essential. Mm. You know what I mean? And I probably wouldn't have a good bearing on like what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. And I probably just try to do that again. And, um, that could work, but there's very few people who like every, every ball hit it out of the park. Right. Yeah. And so, and I think even, um, like if you look at like Elon Musk or some of these great entrepreneurs, like, you know, he started his first company and sold it for like $20 million. Then he started PayPal and, you know, sold it and made a hundred uh, million dollars. And then he started Tesla and SpaceX. And so the idea is like, um, to really just focus on learning and improving yourself and then upping your game every single time and, and staying intellectually humble. Like yeah. the more, the more like you, um, become full of yourself, like let your ego take over or misunderstand your own success, like you're going to be in a, in a bad place. And so I think the point is like to play, to play the long game, you yeah. know? Um, and, but also like, don't put off those things in your life that you want that have nothing to do with your career. I think that's a big mistake that a lot of founders make. I still make it, I still make it today, but like after my, after my first company, when things started to calm down, um, because I was just like coding all day, like I, ha I like I had to for a couple of years like catch up on all these things I didn't do for my life. You know what I mean? Mm. Like going to the gym, improving my health, like, and that's because you get in this mode where you like entrepreneurs are always overconfident in themselves. 
Mm. And you're like, oh, well, I'm just going to like have an exit and then I can do that stuff later. But, and, and maybe that's fine. But like, if you take it too far, you know, you could end up like really missing out on the things that you should, should have had experiences you should have had, you know, friendships you should have made. Um, and with, and, you know, things that you wanted to improve in your life. And that could be uh, a regret that you might have. So I think like balancing, ha- having some work-life balance, like ironically, yeah. right? Like, um, but you know, it's up to you probably not too much, you know, not too much balance, you know, like, yeah. if you're, if you're someone who hates work-life balance, then you need some work-life balance. Yeah. If you're someone who loves work-life balance, you probably don't need work-life balance. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a great rule of thumb, actually. Um, uh, question, have you had to check yourself and you, like your ego sometimes with, every, has that happened to you? Um, yeah, like in small, in small like ways, like, yeah. Unfortunately, I was never successful enough to have it doing the big way, I think. But, you know, um, we all do. <laughs> um, yeah, like s- small things like even when when you when you raise money and like you from VCs, like it happens all at once. So, mm. you know, when when um, when I ra- raised my first company, we um, I had spent like a year trying to raise money and like getting uh you know, have my time wasted by so many investors and like, kind of like, Oh, it's like someone leading you on, like everyone's mm. leading you on. And it finally happens. And everybody comes back. Like everybody comes back like, Oh, like Trevor, like I always believed in you. Why didn't you tell me you were doing this? Like, it's like, I told you like a hundred times, you know? <laughs> and then you like, that's like a, a moment where, you know, um, I was like, and, and also like this kind of opportunity as well. Like, I think when you're a founder and you're raising money, you don't want to be you don't want to be too picky because again, you're going to have your 15 minutes mm. and you kind of like that clock is going to run up quickly and so you want to like make the best of it to involve as many people as you can who can support your company. And if you in that moment you're like like I did, I'm like it felt like I've been climbing up a mountain and like there's no sun and then finally get to the top and the sun is beautiful and like God is like <laughs> you've made it, my son, you know, and then yeah. uh like you can't like bask in that sunlight you know what i mean you got to be like just ready to go and and, like someone's like oh i always believe in you and then you got to be like even though you know it's like they're bullshitting you you gotta be like i know you did like here's the here's the deal documents (laughs) so question regarding so i think one of the things coming into the space like vc funding has really been like top of like mine and and that's what's been going on a lot but can you do like a mini crash course on VC funding. And I mean, I know it's, that's a lot, but just for anyone new coming in, um, sometimes we hear like VC backed, uh, an NFT project or something like this. And like, what does that really mean? And yeah, just a little bit for those that may not know. Yeah. So, I mean, at a basic level, like venture capital is, um, uh, a sector of the finance industry where they invest in early stage companies. It's similar to private equity, but private equity tends to like take, um, like take control of businesses and staff the team and then look okay. for an exit. And they usually look at more mature businesses. Um, uh, and with, with in startups, it's like uh, VC is going to invest in a large portfolio of companies and mm. then, you know, help each one, uh, as much as they can, or try to provide some help, like in key strategic moments, but they're mostly like a passive investor. Um, not as much as like, a you know, uh, like if you buy some stock, like you're a real yeah. passive investor, but I think that founders, um, VCs get a lot, like way too much credit in the space. And, um, founders always think that if you haven't raised a VC, like you think they're going to do more, but they kind of like give you a brand. They give you like the vetting like mm, the, the, okay. and the reputation. And then they help you with like maybe key hires or they help you with um, uh, like an exit or finding other investors. Like I think probably the best job of a VC is to help you get more investors. Um, and just like with with uh, Bitcoin Frontier Fund, you know, we run, we're different because we run an accelerator program. So we actually work hands on for um, four months. And so we provide a lot of services in those four months. And then afterwards we're like more like a normal investor where we, um, you know, like we still meet with our founders. Like we have events at like, um, Bitcoin Miami. We're going to have an event at NFT NYC. And like, we like my calendar is always open to our founders, but really it's like, um, 
in, in general, investors aren't going to do much to change the success of your company. Like they will give you some, some like social proof to help you get more investors. But, um, and you'll pr- eventually like you'll have investors who take a board seat on your company and they'll be more involved, but there still won't be like that deeply involved. A typical VC, like in a large fund will have sit on like eight board seats, you know, seven or eight board seats. So, you know, they're doing like seven or eight companies at once while also running their fund and getting more deal flow and things like that. So, um, but VC is a, it's a, it's a great, um, career path, I think, or it's a, it's a very fulfilling career path. Unfortunately, a lot of VCs have never started businesses and they like, it's like, the, it's like the, the M, the MBA's like dream path who like, doesn't want to like roll up their sleeves and start their own thing and like mm-hmm. take a risk. Um, which is, uh, not the best because it's like, you know, if you want to, it's like the difference between like a chef and like a food critic, you know what I'm saying? So it's yeah. like, if you have a, um, uh, a culinary institute run by food critics, it probably wouldn't be like the best, uh, education, you know, yeah. as compared to like Gordon Ramsay teaching you how to cook. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's like the, the Gordon Ramsay, uh, VC is like the founder who's like, you know, mm-hmm. really dedicate their whole life to building stuff. And then, you know, they get tired, you know, <laughs> they're tired. They're, they, they, their energy level goes down. So they become a VC. So yeah, they take the backseat in a way. So, um, at Bitcoin frontier fund, what, do you look for what are you looking for right now in a company if you if you like the qualities but also like types of products and services that you want to see being built in the bitcoin space yeah so we've um you know we're looking at layer 1 a lot like bitcoin so mm-hmm. under under explored technologies like partially signed bitcoin transactions we really look for a, a team where it's like three co-founders there's like a, there's something magic about the number about having three co-founders like mm-hmm. we invest in a couple solo founders like and um just to test it out uh it's it's like impossible to i mean you can be like the same company that has like one superstar like if they had two more superstars they would just be destroying it right it's like mm. i th- I, th- I think of it like a triangle so and if and if you think about like uh the, like a startup is trying to discover the reality of the market, right? And so, if you have like one perspective, you like uh, one human can never identify reality because it's only mm-hmm. one perspective. When you have two perspectives, you have such a richer and more colorful uh, perception of reality. And then the third perspective kind of gives you the full, uh, the final definition. So, if you think about that, it's like. Uh, we see the world in three dimensions, right? Like if you're a solo founder, you're looking at the world in one dimension, two co-founders, two dimensions, and then three co-founders, like you finally can see it in three uh, dimensions. If you look at like a, um, a cell phone, like GPS, like if you have one tower, that tower cannot locate where you are GPS wise. Mm. If you have two towers, there's still like a big gap, but you have three towers, it can like pinpoint your location within like, I don't know, 10 meters or something. Um, there's also like, um, several, uh, situations that require three people. Like if you are trying to secure a large facility, you need three security guards, one to watch the cameras, one to patrol the outside and one to patrol the inside. Mm. Right. If, if you, if you're, um, a bunch of firefighters to like, to like fight a fire, like you need, um, you know, like one person to go in and get survivors, one person to like use the hose yeah. to like hose down you need, you need a backup person in case like the person inside uh like can't get out yeah right? yeah, yeah um if you're if you're doing a surgery you, you can't do it with fewer than three people right so it's like uh a startup is like the like one of the hardest things to do in the world and like you know there's so many activities that like three people are necessary for and so that's why we have a big thing about like three founders and specifically like th- three all-stars is the goal so it's like Mm-hmm. If you and it forms a triangle, so it's like if you have one, if you have like one all star, you have like a small triangle. If you have two all stars, you still you have like a triangle that's this, the parts are separated and like the 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 peak is low. But if you have three co-founders, like you have a, a huge mountain mm-hmm. of a triangle. Um, and so, you know, we look at like uh, cap tables. That's like always an easy way to see is like how did they divide equity? Um, because if um, if you're like the CEO starting and recruiting your team. 
um, you're gonna you're not gonna give a lot of equity to somebody that's not your equal, right? Like, yeah. Ideal, ideally, like a um, a CEO should be recruiting people better than themselves, right? Like that's the best thing a CEO can do is like recruit people better than him or herself. Yep. Um, and then you know it's fine for the CEO to have a little more equity. Like we have some recommendations on our our website about like how to split equity. Mm. Um, but that's like a big a big tell. Um, whenever we see like a company where like the CEO has ninety percent and the other three co- other two co-founders have like five percent, it's like it's a it's a uh, it's definitely a no. Like yeah. <laughs> you know? um, and so uh, we also look for a balanced skill set. So we look for like um, a bit a business person, marketer, you know, community builder, um, someone who can speak well and will be good at raising funding. Um, we look for obviously strong technical um, CTO mm-hmm. more on the back end side and probably data side since we're in the, in the, uh, blockchain industry. Mm-hmm. And then the third one would be also a developer, but a front end developer who knows design. So that way, if you, ha- and we, we call it like the, the hacker, the hipster and the hustler. So it's like the hacker is the CTO, the hipster is the front end developer and the hustler is the, the CEO. Mm. Okay. So this is interesting. I, I actually want to pivot a little bit towards, um, I don't know if this is similar, but when you're looking at a company and you want to invest in them, do you have similar metrics or would you say the similar metrics to like doing your own business and investing in, like if you're just somebody coming into a space, into a project, would you say somewhat similar? Because I, I think that when you first come in and you're new, you hear this often, do your own research, but it's like, how can you, like, what are the metrics or benchmarks that you would recommend for anybody? Um, and are they similar to like investing in in a founder or a company? You mean, you mean like to decide to do an idea specifically or? Um, Mainly more if you're new to the space and you want to like be a part of a project or if you want to be a part of a company. So not necessarily starting a, a business, but. And like to like how to know if it's successful to join it. Yeah. If, like what are the red flags? What are the green flags? What would you say? Yeah. I mean, I think it depends on what you're looking for. Right. So and what your background is and like where, what starting point you're, you're coming from. Right. So mm-hmm. it's like, if you have a non-traditional background, like, you know, um, I'm thinking of my, my buddy, Eli Herf, who was like a school teacher, um, before jumping into web three and then becoming the head of community growth at gamma, like you have to hustle, like you, like yeah. the bar is going to be much higher and you're going to have to take a greater risk. Like you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to find a company that maybe hasn't raised funding yet and about, eva- and then try to join up and like probably pitch in for free until like you like you kind of want to like be helping for free and then you end up like already doing the job for like a few months and then like you're indispensable and then you're like hey i have to leave now because i'm looking for a job and then they're like oh no like can we hire (laughs) you you know like like that's kind of like the 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 foolproof way if you have a non-traditional background i think if you have a more relevant background, like you've already worked for startups, you've been like a, you know, a growth leader at a startup company, or you've been a developer at a, at a um, startup company. Developers is much easier, actually, like for non-technical people, it's a lot harder because yeah. a developer, like you can more objectively evaluate their skill set quickly by like seeing what they've built. For a business person, like you kind of got to get a sense of like, um, yeah, like you have to, like it takes a longer time frame to ascertain their skills and so what you can do is like i think if you are participating on like twitter like twitter is the arena uh, like the number one marketing channel for all crypto and web yeah. startups um and so if you're like active on twitter you're active on social media you're creating content um that's the best way to um separate yourself right is like by just showing them what you're capable of um and then it comes down to like evaluating the company. So like one of the best ways is to talk to VCs because, um, but you kind of got to also like not just take it at face value. Like I know like um, sometimes a VC, like it, it depends on like what their portfolio is, right? So like you're, you're looking for like to join their hottest company, right? Like mm-hmm. you're looking for to figure out from this VC, like which one of the companies is doing the best, is like the most well run, is 
doing the best at fundraising, but like without asking those questions directly. Right. Yeah. So, you know, some VCs may even like recommend you to like the worst company in their portfolio that's really struggling. Cause like maybe they overinvested in it, you know, and mm. then like, you're like really talented, you know? So. And then you just go in there and do surgery. (laughs) I wouldn't go in there. You know what I mean? Like, I think, I think if a company is off on the wrong start, like it's really hard, it's really hard to turn it around, you know? So, um, like when you build a startup company, you have to build like brick by brick. Like it's all Mm -hmm. about having a really strong foundation. The stronger the foundation, the taller you can build the skyscraper. Yeah. Right. So, um, Maybe for some people, like, well, this is there's this industry that's called like micro micro PE, where um, different investors they will acquire acquire companies that are misrun, but then they just kick everybody out. You know what I mean? Or they just like bring people on who just like maintain some things, and then they they take it in a completely different direction, right? Yeah. So if a company is not going well, it's usually um, a factor of the market, the timing is wrong. Like the, like the vision, the concept is wrong. Um, or it could be, you know, team, team issues or like, you know, doesn't have the right skill sets. It's, it would be, I wouldn't want to be the one person to, I don't know, maybe I would, because maybe I'm like, you know, that's a character flaw I have, but (laughs) you know, being a, being a wanting to be a fixer. But I think if you are trying to work in the space, you know, you, you want to like, this is a game where it's like a, there's going to be a hundred companies and one is going to be like the next Facebook out mm. of a hundred. You know what I mean? So, um, and that's a, like, if you want to spend the next five of your years of your life doing something, it would be great if that was the next Facebook, right? Instead yeah. of like, instead of like one of the other like companies that for all intents and purposes might have a successful exit, but it won't be that rocket ship. Yeah. And I, I guess pivoting a little bit towards Bitcoin where do you see Bitcoin going? I know I saw one of your interviews prior, you were kind of mentioning a few months ago, but things change so much that, you know, there's the flipping happening. Do you still think that that's going to be the case? No, no. I think the flipping before ordinals, I thought that I was expecting the flipping to happen, mm-hmm. but now I think um, it's, it's not going to happen because the, the, the momentum has changed. Like the, the, the direction of the wind has changed. Yeah. And there's now people see the massive opportunity uh, on Bitcoin. Um, you know, my theory before was that like, because the the culture of Bitcoin has very much been like, oh, Ethereum is not legit. Like none of that stuff is real. And, you know, we're just, we're just going to keep trying to integrate, you know, payment systems. Like we're just going to keep trying to like work with Visa and MasterCard, even though Visa and MasterCard <laughs> like cancel Bitcoin like every other year. Uh, their support for it, right? Um, and now it's like, okay, like NFTs are real, non fungible assets are real, digital art is real. Um, there's things that we can learn from Ethereum, ZK rollups. There's opportunity to grow Bitcoin. Um, look at all the people coming back to Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, it's been a real narrative violation. The whole ordinal, uh, the whole thing around ordinals, and so I think it has opened people's minds to the potential for building on Bitcoin. And mm. I think that I think that we will end up in a space where I don't think Ethereum is going to go away, but I also think that Bitcoin dominance is going to grow going forward. And we've already seen it start to grow. And that um, the end game will be like Ethereum and Bitcoin probably. And maybe maybe like a super high speed chain that's centralized like Solana. Mm. There'll, be, there'll be use cases for that for sure. I just think it'll be smaller with uh, in respect to Bitcoin and Ethereum. And I think there was a stat that uh, Eric Wall just tweeted about where he said that the um, the the fully diluted market cap for Arbitrum and Optimism is like about 10 billion each. So that would put it on par with, and with Polygon, I guess it's like um, 15% of Ethereum's market cap. Mm. Uh, and so I think, I think the, the market size for L2s on Ethereum is, you know, it's already 15%, so probably up to 50% of Ethereum's market cap. I don't think that it will be um, larger than Ethereum's market cap. Mm. But, I, but I think the opportunity for L2s on Bitcoin is um, you know, 100% to 300% of Ethereum's market cap. So because the, the L2s on Ethereum, sorry, the L2s on Bitcoin 
are actually going to be the biggest competitors with, with Ethereum. But I don't think that they will surpass it. I think that we will have a, and I, and I hope they don't surpass, I hope they don't um, surpass it honestly, because I hope that we have um, an industry where there's multiple options for people where like everything that Ethereum does is a benefit to the entire industry. Cause we, we give people more options. We learn from it. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with Bitcoin for starting this whole industry. Everything that's like everything that Solana does is good for this entire industry. And so we need to have like different alternatives and that's yeah. a really healthy thing. Yeah. I think that's um, really great. That you, a point that you mentioned, because I feel that, when you're in the community, you you kind of tear each other apart a lot on like what's better and what's not. And ultimately, we it's not like we're not trying to fight with each other. It's like the system that's effed up, and we're we're trying to create something new. And um, it's just a great opportunity. Like I I love hearing this because there competition is also healthy, and we learn from that. And um, yeah, so. Basically, what you said. I guess um, pivoting a little bit more towards you. What are you most excited about currently in the space? Yeah, um, definitely ordinals. Of yeah. course. Um, let me think. What else I'm excited about? I mean, I'm just excited about the experiments that people are doing on Bitcoin. So even seeing like um, there's like a sovereign rollup that was created where they are like using that to uh, secure the data on Bitcoin and like that kind of stuff is super exciting. So, you know, obviously I'm very big on stacks, you know, like, but yeah, the reason, the reason I'm big on stacks is because I think it's the best technology because I think it's, um, and I think that the idea of building L2s on Bitcoin is a massive opportunity or, you know, Bitcoin layers. Um, I am getting, I'm getting more excited about like, of course, I'm very excited about Bitcoin L1. I'm getting more excited about, um, lightning and noster um some of the like you know some of the questions around the centralization of lightning kind of concern me i'm trying to like figure those out and like go out there and talk to the smartest people to figure out like what their suggestions are i also think like there's a bit of like a contradiction in like the way people are going about things because like um, lighting is supposed to be like the same values of Bitcoin, but then like you look on like Noster and you see the majority of the wallets that people are using are custodied wallets. They're not like self-custody wallets. Um, you look at Noster and they're using like the DNS from like a- the HTTP. It's like you can, your name system is going to be, you know, uh, Trevor.com, not like uh, Trevor.btc or Trevor.eth. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, there's kind of an aversion uh, still like this like um, residue of an aversion to like acknowledging that there's anything else outside of Bitcoin that actually is good. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And so I think that's a, a blind spot. And that like anytime I see that type of cognitive dissonance, it's always like a red flag in anything. If you're like in your in your investing in an entrepreneur and you're talking with them, if they have any cognitive dissonance, it's like an immediate red flag. Like what you want to see is like, someone who is very balanced and objective. You want to see somebody who's yeah. like, like that's like the number one sign I look for is cognitive dissonance to like not invest in somebody. You know, so it's like if I'm talking to them, like say like, what about this? Did you think about this? And then I see that like they uh, thought about it. Like so- sometimes you'll see a situation where, where you ask an entrepreneur questions and this goes for developers, like I'm saying like in the lightning yeah. or whatever, where it's like, hey, did you consider, did you consider using a decentralized name system from a blockchain? Like if their if their answer is like, yeah, but that's a shit coin, or yeah, that's like uh, you know, like what's the purpose of that? Then you like it's like, so you did like you thought about it, but mm. you didn't actually like consider it, like, or you or like sometimes they will they'll give you reasons why it would be a good idea to do that, and then they're not doing that. You know <laughs> what I mean? So it's like whenever you find this type of like cognitive dissonance, then that's like a re- immediate red flag that like people are not acting rationally. Yeah, and. Probably like in entrepreneurship and in technology, more important than IQ is rationality. Like the the ability to look at data and to take the most rational action. Like rationality is more related to judgment. IQ is more related to uh, fluid intelligence, pattern recognition, problem solving, and that's re- that's really good for um, that's really good for like optimizing something like if you want to make yeah. an algorithm faster and faster like fluid intelligence is like super important if if you want to decide to hire somebody or to fire somebody 
or you want to decide to um, pivot your company. Like this is all rationality. This is all judgment. And a lot of times there's people, there's people who, like studies have shown there's people with very high, high IQ who make very irrational decisions. Like there's like, yeah, you know, people who um, in like were very high IQ, but they invested in like some scam or something like that. And they lost all their money versus like, um, there's a, there's a whole field around like rationality and how it's a different type of process uh, mentally. And it, deal, and it actually deals more with uh, being self-aware of cognitive biases and overcoming those. Yeah. Right. And so when you, when you find somebody who's really smart, but they're not able to overcome their cognitive biases, it, it doesn't matter. Like you have to be extremely rational and a, a self-aware to the point where you can um, make the best decision, right? Not yeah. like in a, an emotional-based decision. Because emotion is, emotion is always more powerful than logic yeah. in terms of how we make our decisions. Like no matter, no matter how smart you are, no matter how logical you are, the, the people who are very, very high IQ but less rational will, will come to the craziest conclusions because they were able to problem solve. They were able to problem solve themselves in the wrong direction. Like they're, oh, they, were able, they yeah. were able to like, they were able to like take a situation that like was hard to justify. Like they'll say like, Oh, like they may emotionally be attracted to doing the wrong thing and they're so smart. They will figure out the perfect logic for why that's the right thing to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 I've seen this happen before. Um, so Similar along the veins, I think, um, what would you say is going to take to have more people come into the space, like the masses and what is missing and what, what do you feel is the key for that? I think we need more education on like how to build on, on Bitcoin L1. Like, I think there's a lot of like, um, protocol level, like, uh, education, but, um, the like the Bitcoin community in terms of the developer community is way more opaque than Ethereum, than Stacks, and any of these mm-hmm. um, other communities because, you know, by the fact of like Ethereum having its own token that actually has capital to do stuff, it has capital to like recruit uh, developers, it has capital to host hackathons, it has capital to hire like people to do marketing for it. And a lot of Bitcoin maxis, like they kind of like resent that, but that's like capitalism. Like that's like free markets. Like, yeah. you know, if you, I, I think of like the difference between like, let's say like uh, Bitcoin and stacks versus like Bitcoin and another layer that has no token. I would much rather uh, be working in the one that has a token for a couple of reasons. Well, one is that uh, you need it from a technological perspective. Interestingly, like if you think about Bitcoin, uh, every block you get like 6.25 Bitcoin, the miners. Yeah. That's called, that's called the security subsidy. So it's meant to subsidize the security. Eventually there's going to be no more, uh, Bitcoin generated from, from that mining. It's going to be all fees, but right now fees are like before ordinals, the fees for, um, miners from, uh, actual transactions as opposed to the Coinbase reward was like half a percent now with ordinals it's like four percent three four percent steadily which is amazing but it needs to get to a hundred percent in three years or the security will go down um Mm -hmm. michael saylor made like a really bad tweet where he thought he thought that like the faster your asics is like the more security bitcoin has that's actually not how it works the higher the security budget from fees and the coinbase reward the more secure bitcoin is that's the only factor that matters to make it secure and so if you're starting a new blockchain like Stacks, you need a security subsidy to get things off the ground. Otherwise, you'll have to be centralized. And so that's mm-hmm. why the other um, other blockchains that don't have a, the other side chains, for example, that don't have a token are centralized because they don't have they didn't they decide not to do a token, which means they have no security subsidy. Yeah, which means they're manually securing it themselves, which is which is um, and then for again, for the token, it's a it's a capital flywheel. It's like. I used to work for big corporations uh, to help teach them how to innovate, and like they would never, they would never want to spin out a startup company, and that is like the critical flaw. It's like if you try to have a startup with inside a big company and you pay people a salary, they're going to act like employees, not like entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. If you if you if you if you ha- are a big company and you act like a VC. And you and you take a equity and you spin it out and give them equity. They're going to act like entrepreneurs. Just like you have a salesperson, you're not going to compensate a salesperson with 100% salary, or they're not going to sell anything. You give them yeah. a um, 
an incentive to do that, right? And so if you're creating a a layer two, it's like it's like ha- it's like a startup that has its own cap table or its own like um, mm-hmm. its own incentive, right? So having people be able to speculate on a token is a good thing for that network, right? Because yeah. that's going to bring people in. That's going to um, get people to build on it to have a, to have skin in the game, and it's also a flywheel that allows you know you to have a foundation that does developer marketing that that um, improves the developer tools, like and and. I don't think Bitcoin needs that, but I think if you want to create an L2 that competes with Ethereum on top of Bitcoin, you need that. Otherwise, yeah. Ethereum has Ethereum has this is a Ethereum has billions of dollars, right? Like to to do that today, like if if it was like 10 years ago, it, you wouldn't have to do that, right? Like just the market forces would like take care of it. But today we're in a very different environment where you're competing on the scale of billions of dollars. And so if you don't have that capital flywheel and that ability for people to have skin in the game, um, you're just going to get destroyed in the market because no, like if you have millions of dollars, like you can't compete with billions of dollars. It's like showing up to a, a gunfight <laughs> with a knife. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think this, I mean, thank you for this. And I actually want to begin to wrap up a little bit, but before then, um, what would you say is like your advice for founders right now? Um, with the condi- with the markets of where we are, what's your like number one advice that you would give them? In uh, what stage? What stage founder do you think like start just starting out? Yeah, just starting out. Um, I think the biggest advice is just to like take a shot. Like you know, like the um, the best way to the, the best way to learn is by failing. Like that's mm-hmm. the that's the thing. So it's like if you're not putting yourself out there and you're not failing, you're not like you're not going to get there. Like you have to you have to have sort of a masochistic tendency yeah. uh, to like be good at this game. Um, and so you have to be able to like you know um, like you need to be the type of person where like if you ha- like you like you're you're in a, you're at a public event and then like people are like does anyone want to say anything and then like you're the first person to raise your hand and then you embarrass yourself in front of everybody and mm-hmm. then like like that's the type of person you need to be willing to be like you de- you need to be willing to like uh, make mistakes to be like super cringe to embarrass yourself if you if you're not willing to put yourself out there and do that um, at least a little bit right like at least like more over time then you're gonna it's gonna take you a lot longer right so like yeah. the people who it's like they, um, you know, when when I was like in university, one of my my mentors who was like a VC who held the entrepreneurship class, the name of the class was Ready Fire, Aim, right? So it's like if you're like Ready Aim Fire, like you're never gonna get started. And I think if you're new at this game, you want to be like very much in the camp of like Ready Fire Aim. Mm. Um, it's like it's like a weird balance, but then at the same time the better you get, you will sort of be more of like the measure twice, cut once. And I think in like building technology, like really finding that balance is like the hardest thing. But I think yeah. if you're just, if you're just getting started, like as a founder, put yourself out there. Don't be afraid to embarrass yourself. Um, and like, like socially and like to, to market your company to like let people know what's going on. But then when it comes to actually like making critical decisions, like what's your product going to be? What's the feature going to be? Who's your customer? That's where you want to measure twice, cut once. Like you want to do as much lean startup as you can. You want to validate the market. You want to, um, you know, spend the time upfront about what's your process is going to be and who the team is going to be. Um, and then, and then on the flip side, like you want to put yourself out there and not be afraid to, to fail. Like, and, and you won't be able to understand the, unknown unknowns so you need to surround yourself with mentors you need to surround yourself with other people the best the best entrepreneurs in our portfolio um not only the most experienced like i think like among the best founders like um in our portfolio at least half of them are like in their 40s Mm. and so and and like and those founders even compared to the the founders the founders in their 40s in our portfolio compared to the founders in their 30s ask way more questions ask for advice way more and they also are like more like diligent or more consistent in what they do. Yeah. So I think um, it's just interesting because you would think like, and maybe like a lot of founders in their twenties ask a lot of questions too, but it's kind of counterintuitive how the most experienced and the like oldest founders are also, and who are some of the best, are also the mer- most curious. Um, ask like 
a, like the most basic questions. Yeah. You know, and, and just have that mindset of like, uh, every, every question I ask, I get better. Right. Every, every person I meet, uh, you know, like another person is a fan, you know what I mean? Like they're looking for every single ben- uh, advantage they can get. And that resourcefulness, um, is a big part of this. Yeah. And I think it's like exactly what most people or most founders don't want to do. Like, it's like, I don't want to be embarrassed or, or like they're overthinking and it's like, no, just, just go out there, do ask questions and kind of get dirty. Um, okay. As we wrap up, I want to just ask, what do you do outside of Web3, outside of Bitcoin? What's, what's your fun, um, getting your replenishment with all this technology and always being on? Yeah, I mean, I go, I go, I go to the gym. I mean, <laughs> okay. uh, or I used to, you know, like, I really, I really don't do much. I mean, I used to be, so I used to be... Um, a co-owner of an esports team, like uh, oh. many years ago. Um, so I try to have hobbies, you know, as well. Like I'm obviously a big supporter of the Crash Punks project. Like getting involved that to experiment with NFTs and and what's going on there. Um, and I run I run Ninja Alerts, so I have mm-hmm. a company and a fund. So I really don't have a lot of time for a, a life. But um, yeah, no, I think um, I. Um, yeah, like just try to stay as healthy as I can. I go to a lot of conferences to meet people. Be I'm social. Kind of involved in Ethereum and in Bitcoin and in Stacks, and you know, getting involved in more communities. So, if I had if I had more time, I would definitely focus more on like health and fitness, um, uh, traveling. I would do more coding for fun. You know, like these are things I would probably do. I would. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I'm getting into. Um, like streaming because like web like web the web three gaming space I think is about to take off right now. We're seeing like uh, Dead Drop. We're seeing like uh, which is a Doctor Disrespect game that's being really popular with NFTs. We're seeing like more games come out now. So I'm looking to get into streaming. Like f- okay. for me, like the the my hobbies are like figuring out what the next thing is going to be. <laughs> that that's your that's your fuel. Okay, yeah. so um, I do a lightning round, which is a series of questions that are meant to just be. Try not to overthink them and answer them as fast as possible. Ready? Yeah. Cool. Um, what's your favorite book? Um, How to Win Friends and Influence People, um, and then On Writing Well by William Zinter. Okay. And your go-to drink? Uh, seltzer, like yeah, salt, like yeah. sparkling, sparkling water. Yeah, I can't live without it. Yeah. <laughs> I actually love sparkling water. Um, yeah. The one thing you can't stand. Mm, people, people who are assholes that are disingenuous and, and they, they, they argue, uh, in bad faith. Yeah. Your biggest NFT fail, like in terms of purchasing. Oh, so many. Um, (laughs) This is what most people say. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to look at my hidden folder on OpenSea because I don't you just even remember that. Delete again. that. Delete, yeah, <laughs> delete it yeah. from your mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Your favorite place on earth? Oh, wow. Um, that is a good one. Um, I think there's so many. I mean, um, yeah, I would say, like, in a general sense, like, New York City is one of my favorite places on earth. Um, uh, Seoul, South Korea is one of my favorite places on earth. Mm. Um, yeah, like I, I'm a big city person. Um, okay. so I think like the more, the more stimulation, the better, like the more like people in close proximity, the better, um, the yeah. more, um, diversity, the better. So, okay. And, uh, the last question, what do you love most about yourself? Uh, well, I, I shaved it off, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, well, um, it's been an absolute pleasure just chatting with you, picking your brain. Um, it's, it's always fun. And where can people hang out with you? Of course, Twitter. As On Twitter. T-O. Yep. At TO, uh, Twitter spaces, you know, I'm always, I'm always like, I'm always looking for people to come up on the stages on Twitter spaces. So if you're not there to, if you're not there to shill your NFT project, or some like token, then like, come on up. We love to talk yeah. to people. So I'm always looking for people to join my Twitter spaces and contribute to the combo. Cool. Yeah. That's the best place to hang out. 
Okay, awesome. Well, if you've loved this conversation, share it with someone, retweet it. It helps just the pod to grow and, of course, have more incredible guests. So thank you, everyone. And thank you, Trevor, again. Mm-hmm.